and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Stephen Chen, founder and CEO of New Retirement. New Retirement is an online platform that basically enables financial institutions that already have customers or are prospecting for customers to offer DIY financial planning experiences around their already existing offering. And with that, here's my interview with Stephen. Stephen, thanks for your time today. Jason, thanks for having me on here. I appreciate uh, the opportunity. My pleasure. So Stephen Chang of New Retirement, tell us about New Retirement. Sure. So basically what we've done is we built TurboTax for financial planning. We started out as a consumer facing platform uh, a few years ago and originally got started because I helped my mom figure this problem out herself. So she came to me when she was approaching retirement, my brother and I, and she wanted financial help. And we said, okay, we, you know, we can help you, but we'd rather find a financial advisor that can help you. And we looked around, but we couldn't really find anyone that was wanting to take her on as a client because aging female net worth less than half a million dollars, half of it was in the house. So she just wasn't, you know, a super attractive client. So we ended up doing ourselves on spreadsheets. And, you know, in the course of doing this, we saw how complicated it was. So it really, we started with the whole decumulation side of the platform and, you know, or, or, or your life cycle. And, um, we, we said, okay, look, there's 120 million people in this country over age 50. They got 80% of the money, but everyone's still worried about how am I going to retire? How am I going to pay for this? And so we ended up turning into software and that's how we got started. And what, what's happened since then though, is it's really turned into a platform that we sell to wealth managers and also in the workplace. So we, we, we're here to help people build their own plans and uh, you know think about their future, but also work with the ecosystem and help folks that are serving these people do it more efficiently. Excellent. So listeners of this podcast have probably heard me wax philosophical about the two stupidest things I've ever, I ever get pitched. And funnily enough, I've had two guests in the last couple of months, yourself included, that have basically, I think, done it the right way. And what I mean by that is that the two stupidest things I've seen pitched to me at least every six months since I started this podcast, one is basically financial advisor client, for lack of a better term, dating sites, a matching system. And that was stupid because it was all based on, I'm going to drive all this SEO traffic and people are going to make their match. And that's not how people find financial planners. Instead, uh, Derek Notman from Coupler, if you want to go listen to that one, he basically built a system that sits on sites that already have the traffic. So that makes sense. The DIY financial planning software piece, it's uh, basically, I've always said like, this is not going to work because the level of complexity, like financial planning is not simple. Let's just be frank. There's a lot going on there, right? And for the average person to think they can do it themselves, look, I'm sure there are simple, straightforward cases with people who are bright who can do it, but on scale, it's just not going to work. More people are going to get to a point where they're like, I'm uncomfortable. I need someone. So, so I always said that this and it wasn't going to work. You did something similar to what Derek did. You did a, you basically went to the, to the hub of discovery. You went in and found essentially where the people were, where there was a need, and you offered a service and a tool to, a comp- to companies to expand their service offerings. So I will not take back my statement, but I will say that this is the much better approach if you're ever going to do it. So good on you for, for cracking that nut. Okay. So you already talked a little bit about the journey, right? And where the impetus was, right? And it was, you're, you're absolutely right. You have this segment of the market that is not, easily marketed to or serviced by traditional financial institutions, right? So even if either they have too little assets, or maybe their income's not high enough that they're going to go and spend three to $5,000 on a financial plan from a fee a only planner, but they need something. Now they probably have a retirement account somewhere, right? That's your in, right? So they've got some money, just not a lot of money. So all right, so you basically started this off with your mother, at what point did you basically realize a you had a business and then b realize what the proper attack vector was for for going to market 
Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, we started originally, we're a very bootstrapped company. We had, we're making money uh, from another business. It was kind of like a project. Then we started offering the subscription service to consumers and it was growing, but not super fast. And it was, it became clear that this was not a, the consumer subscription business was not a venture scale business or not immediately obvious that it could be that. And so we were out there in market, but we had, you know, we had done some really innovative stuff and we've had 300,000 people on the consumer side, build financial plans. And we have 50,000 active users and we have 14,000 subscribers. So there's like a real active community and we're learning, but we bumped into nationwide. And so nationwide was like, Hey, we want to, we have this roadmap of, um, Things we want to build around planning for our workplace users. They have a big 457, 403B business. And a lot of the things that you've already delivered on the consumer side, we want to deliver in our platform. And can we use your platform via API? And of course, we're like, sure, that'd be great. And that one deal was as big as our entire consumer business. And so we're like, okay, I guess leveraging the enterprise to go to their audiences is a great way to basically take advantage of what we've already built, uh, make more revenue faster. And so since then, we've rolled it out for Nationwide via API, and we're in discussions to do a lot more with them. Uh, we just took it live for Raytheon, so RTX, in the workplace as a financial wellness and planning platform. This is one of the top five plan sponsors in the US with 250,000 participants. So that's a materially different way of like rolling out planning. So we, and then we're, we also work with some of the top financial wealth managers in this country and benefits providers. So we're finding different ways to deploy financial wellness and planning at scale. And I think the thing that we've done is, yeah, we're not doing everything, right? We're getting people started in a lower friction way. So instead of starting with your own spreadsheet or talking to a financial advisor, you can start with an organized piece of software that asks you some good questions, help you, helps you frame up kind of where do you stand, what's possible for you, what are things you should really think about. It starts you down that path. Now, Jason, you're exactly right. People get down this path to some degree, Few of them are like, I'm as good as a CFP, right? And I can do all this stuff myself. Most of them kind of get partway and they're like, oh, tax efficiency. It looks like there's a big benefit for me around tax efficiency. Or should I relocate? How, how should I invest? How should I think about my estate plan? Whatever it is, there's a million questions people have. And they eventually raise their hand and say, I want to get some help. But the good news is because there's more of them and they're farther down the path, when they come into contact with a financial advisor or a coach, there's much more written down and they're much more educated. So it's like when we show up at the doctor today and like we think something's wrong or like I've got COVID or whatever it is, we have we know a lot more than we used to because of the internet. So so do these people. And so they can have much richer conversations much more quickly. So there is a big efficiency gain for the advisors. Like and the last thing I'll say here is we have, you know, three to four people on our site on our team supporting fifty thousand people. So it works at scale. We have in our consumer business, we have a grand total of one CFP. We're not trying to be fast at wealth, but that one CFP has gone from zero to two hundred clients in a year. And we're basically way behind, like we have way more demand for coaches and CFPs than, than we can fulfill. So we're hiring coaches. We're not trying to replicate the CFP model though. We'd rather license our platform to other advisors and just have them use the stuff that's working for us. Yeah. Interestingly enough, Facet Wealth is coming up on the podcast. So that's going to be an interesting contrast. So, and it makes sense, right? Like you don't want to leave these people hanging dry and have nowhere to turn, right? But you've created a on-demand financial planning kind of I won't say a full financial planning service there, you basically have created an on-demand kind of, let me let me triage the immediate concern or question you have, which makes a lot of sense. And you've, and you've built out from there because some people need more ongoing care. So you're, you're evolving with your market. But I mean, so let's just go over those numbers. How many people on the platform, how many people actually getting the kind of the on, more ongoing care? Sure. So 
on the consumer side, right? And and this again, this is consumers like a laboratory for us. So we've had three hundred thousand yeah. people start or build their initial financial plan. We have fifty thousand active users. So those are people that are using the platform where they're either free or paid. And then we have about fourteen thousand people subscribing today. So we're not trying to say, hey, this is a venture scale business on the consumer side, but we do learn really quickly. The interesting thing about these 14,000 people is they're managing $30 billion of their own savings. So the average person that's paying us is mass affluent plus. The average person that tries the platform is still mass affluent. They have a little bit less money, but they still have money. There's like 70, $80 billion. So there, there is real assets and people are thinking deeply about this. Many of our users had their own spreadsheets and they're just like, okay, wow, someone's- yeah, You're replacing one DIY tool with another, right? But you're, the challenge was like, would they pay for it previously? Whereas I think you've, you've kind of cracked that nut. Yeah, and I think, but for us to reach scale, we want it to be as low cost as possible, right? So like an analogy in my mind is like travel. We used to have travel agents. We would pay travel agents to figure out our trips, which are complicated. And that's one way. And some people still use travel agents and they can be great. They can a lot of value. They're not going away. But they're, now we have like Kayak and many more people use these various tools to kind of put together their trips and book all the stuff and take it farther themselves. Like we don't think advisors are going anywhere, right? We just, we need more advisors. Like for my mom, if there were more advisors or there, and, or there was a lower cost option, we wouldn't have had to build this, you know, and said, okay, great. We've got other things going on. But, you know, we think that the future is, I mean, you, like you've said, I was listening to like some of your previous podcasts. There's a huge amount of value in planning and helping people coordinate their assets and think, you know, get literate, you know, really think about how they're saving, why they're saving, um, how they're going to use their money and avoid mistakes uh, over the course of their life. Yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, like, I think really the, the, what you're addressing is there's really two issues at play here. I think one is that basically how do we get planning in more ha people's hands, which is a challenge, right? Because the economic model has to support it. Now, there's only so far that can go, right? I think fee-only planners, retainer-based planning, all of that, and the lower, lower overheads we see pioneered by firms like XYPN in the US is usually market expanding, right? Now, that said, most of those people end up moving up market because there's just too few planners out there for the demand that exists. That's the reality of it. Yep. That hopefully changes over time. But I also think, and it's interesting, I'm sure you've gotten basically pushback from some financial planners being like, oh, you know, you're, gonna tr you're trying to put me out of business. I mean, I can't imagine anything further from the truth because I think if anything, you're making it accessible to as many people as possible raises the awareness of what is involved in financial planning and the difficulty of it that they're going to basically run into and actually probably net increases demand for financial planners at scale. That's right. I think we see ourselves as kind of expanding the market. And I think like, for example, what's happening inside of RTX or Raytheon is, is interesting. Like we're, hey, sudden, there's a lot of people that provide financial wellness and financial wellness is content courses. <laughs> yeah, simple tools. I mean, actually the CFPB in the US has done a pretty good job. It's like giving people a real sense of like financial control. Like they, they, yeah. they, they have an agency today and they have visibility into the future about how they're going to kind of build towards a more secure future which is a great way to define it. But education takes you so far. Behavioral coaching takes you so far. I mean, having a human financial advisor does solve the problem. It's just back to what we originally said, there's just not enough of them to serve everybody, right? So if you can get more people kind of educated, their situation framed up so that when they do meet with an advisor or coach, it's way more efficient and they understand more about how to get the most out of them, which it, in my mind, a huge value is like just the behavioral part of it, right? So don't make massive mistakes. Do execute on the decisions you make. Like, okay, hey, I know I should invest. 
So let's actually do it. Let's actually change our contribution rates. Let's dial up our risk. Let's stick with it for 15 years. And you know what? You wake up, you know, and then let's do that when we're young. And you do that. And then, hey, you wake up in your mid to late 30s and you're like, I have a lot of money and I have way more financial control and agency than I ever had. And that's good for me. You know what else that's good for? Your kids and your parents because <laughs> it changes the course of your family over time. And that's the big thing. Yeah. And I think in, in as well, I mean, like people have a hard time wrapping their, the human mind has a hard time wrapping its head around compound interest or compound growth, right? Yep. So being able to see that visually under their own control, it was just when they're playing around, in, we'll call it a low commitment environment is usually valuable because now they're like, oh, wait a sec. Like that's how much more it's going to take me to get me to this point. That's, that's not scary, right? Whereas, you know, you listen to surveys about people being uncertain about their future and it's all coming from largely coming from a place of ignorance, right? Like they don't, they don't even know to look or they're afraid to look or they don't know where to start you're, you know, by giving them a tool to help hopefully eliminate that ignorance, you're taking away that fear. And you're potentially, again, like, again, I see you as completely market expanding. And the other interesting facet too, and I want to get back to the technology itself shortly, as opposed to just waxing philosophical about the industry, is that what I like about it is that you're raising the awareness to these people of what financial planning is, because too often, it's just thought of as, especially by those on Twitter who say advisors are useless, is that basically, it's just investing when it, it couldn't yeah. be further from the truth. Investing is a conduit for achieving the plan as opposed to the other way around. So when they finally do want to reach out for advice and they go maybe talk to you know their friend's guy or whatever else it is, and that person just doesn't deal with the planning topics, yeah. now they're more literate as to what's necessary. So I think that you're doing them a service in that regard too. Yeah, I think that one other point I wanted to make about what we're doing is a little bit different is that we support obviously coaches and advisors, but the community, hearing from other people that are like you is a very different thing. So if you grow up in a household, people know about money and you've kind of seen it your whole life, you're, you're way ahead. But many people didn't grow up that way. Mm-hmm. And so if they bump into people, and there's lots of people pushing all kinds of things on the internet, you know, and there's lots of, you know, there's like FinTech, there's all kinds of stuff out there, good and bad. But what we have is a community of people that kind of like understand what to do and have been doing the right things. And other people can look at it and say, oh, wow, this, this person's never made more than $100,000 per year in their whole life or 70,000 bucks, but they have a million dollars. How did that happen? And it's because they made compounding gains over time. They made good decisions. They didn't screw themselves. And hearing that real stories from other people is very different than hearing it from a financial advisor. So it, it's just a different way of educating folks. So just oh. want to make that quick point. So I want to go back to the software for a second now. Let's talk about the actual design of it and what you did, right? Because the reality is it's one thing to design a financial planning software for financial professionals, something else to design it for the layperson. Can you talk to me about how the market informed the design and use of the software itself? Yeah, it's a good question. So I think when we talk about what we're doing and why it's different, a lot of it does get back to the incentives and how we set about doing this. So when when we when I started this, it's like we Well, when I think about financial services in general, so I've worked in financial service my whole career. (laughs) I've worked inside of Schwab and places like that, which is a great company, you know, and I've I've worked inside, I've consulted inside of Fidelity and dimensional fund advisors and stuff like that. But reality is most of financial services is not transparent. You really don't know how people are paid. It's like healthcare used to be. And well, that's a choice based on the advisor. Like that's, let's be realistic, right? It's, it's, it's choice that is by default, it's not transparent. Yeah, I'm not calling out the advisor in particular. I'm I'm saying everything. Mutual funds, yeah. mutual funds, workplace savings. There's all kinds of fees flowing all over the place, and right. yeah. you don't really know, right? You have no idea. Like, and 
So I think, and that can create misalignment because you can get people that are paid a lot of money and the other people don't know how they're getting paid or they don't feel, they don't feel like they're paying anything. It feels like it's free, right? Oh, I, uh, someone's going to give me a free plan or they're going to help me invest. Someone's getting, getting paid, right? <laughs> and like, and, but, no, but it's pretty knows. easy to spell that myth just when you point it out, but people will believe it until it gets pointed out that it's naive. Yeah. So we said, all right, well, you know what? We're going to build this software for consumers and we're going to charge them for software, for planning software, which is given away for free by most financial advisors. So that was one. And so one, we have to make it, we have to do this really efficiently uh, and we have to demonstrate enough value that people will pay us. And we have to explain to consumers why we're doing this. And so clearly we've made some progress, but like, you know, we're still nothing, right? I mean, Schwab has 25 million customers and we have 14,000. So 2,000 times bigger. 14,000 is more scale than I've ever seen any consumer-based financial planning software get to. So keep it up. Yeah, working on it. But I think that like our whole approach of we work for the consumer, consumer first. It's like a big thing inside of our business. So um, we're like, we're going to, we also believe in free planning. So we're like, hey, everyone's going to get our free plan. So we, we basically made the software so that anyone can build a plan, a baseline one and have it for free forever. Then we built the community, then we built classes. So, and then we said, okay, well, if you want advanced tools, go for it. And now what's happening is one in five or 20% of people that try the free tool upgrade. That's up from like three to 5%. So a 20% conversion on a freemium model is unheard of. Okay. Like (laughs) the entire concept of the freemium model was, Hey, if I can convert at least 5%, I can make money. And I consult on a bunch of fintechs. And every time they want to talk to me about, about freemiums, I'm like, I tell them, yeah, don't, don't run away <laughs> no, because the metrics on them it's known have been collapsing for years i mean even early pioneers like evernote and whatnot who did that they're i don't know where the numbers are but you know they're they're way lower than five percent now right and it's causing all kinds of issues so yeah. the fact that you have a one in five no that's, we're, that's we're, thanks we're, we're definitely grateful for it but i would say we lean a lot into uh so First, it was like powerful functionality. So we're like working with our community. They're like, we want this, we want that. They're telling us what to build. That was one part of it. We learned with them. Like, we know this is not going to be perfect. Like we're, everything's changing all the time. And so we, we have to make it better and better. And community has to like accept that, like, hey, rules change. You know, if you find something wrong, we'll fix it. But generally we have like tens of thousands of people looking at it. So, you know, you can feel more confident, I think, in what we're doing than your own spreadsheet that has one developer and one consumer, which is you. <laughs> So I think then folding in, well, the other thing was like design. So design has been a huge unlock for us. And I talked to some fintech founders like, oh yeah, you guys have just like a good looking UX on top of some like mediocre software. I'm like, no, we have great software and we're building incredible UX on top of it. <laughs> and then we're doing a lot with data and AI. And so I wouldn't sleep on, on, the, on our approach and thinking here, but like it has to be the reason the iPhone brushed it versus whatever Blackberries and stuff like that is that like they rethought how this works with incredible design. It was very intuitive. And people were like, aha, like it finally makes sense. And I'm not saying we're all the way there, but you need to lean in design if you're building in this space. Because consumers are used to consumer grade Instagram tools, Venmo, that are super easy yeah. and intuitive. Yeah, there's a saying I've said before on the show is that Amazon got us used to instant and uh, Apple got us used to beautiful. And frankly, anything that doesn't feel like it's those two things feels wrong. Right. That's that's the consumer experience these days. Right. It's, you know, I often I often wax philosophical about that when we talk about the ignorance or the the ridiculousness that is the insurance industry. But let's not get into that. <laughs> so. Um, so, yeah, no, you're you're definitely doing that. All right. So so basically 
talk to me about the reception you got from large enterprises about offering this as part of their their service offering. Like, was there any pushback initially? Have they said like they? Because here's the thing: notoriously, a lot of retirement plans will offer some sort of very simple like goals based planning tool to basically as part of your onboarding. And all the data I've seen on that is like usage rates sub 10%. Like if they can get it above 10%, they're just like, oh my God, like this group is like really interested. So like, what was the, was there pushback saying we tried this and it, it failed or was there like, you know, this is different. So what I think is happening is we were early to market, right? With our, believe me, I've had lots of VCs laugh at me and be like, <laughs> the planning is a ridiculous idea. And the only people that buy our advisors and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, well, we're over here. You know, if, if you build a company that's meaningful, Many people are going to think you're a joke in the beginning because you have a very contrarian point of view. But I think now what's happening is, yeah, like we've been talking about, advisors, wealth managers know that how powerful financial planning is, right? They know that if you sit down with someone and you really get into kind of their situation, understand them holistically and help them get educated and make them help them make good decisions, you can dramatically change the trajectory of their savings and their outcomes they achieve for themselves and their families. So I think companies now are like, you know what? That's right. And Let's try and do it ourselves. And so we run into companies, huge companies, Fortune 100 companies that are like, yeah, I'm building a virtual advice center. I'm building some technology and I'm seeing good signals. This looks like it's working. And then if they find us, they're like, oh, my business is really building insurance products and investment products and having advisors and having my huge brand. I'm actually not like world-class at building software. And most huge companies, like Schwab is great at building technology, but most companies- You get a lot of arguments on that one, but let's okay. continue. But yeah, right. But many big companies, I think we can all agree, they've got tons of their own existing systems they got to support just to keep kind of lights on, right? Like let's keep water going through the pipes. They're not like saying, I'm going to attract world-class team and all they're going to do is like, think about how to do financial planning the best in the world, right? Well, that's all we do. And so we show up and we're like, hey, we've got a lot of smart people thinking about accumulation, decumulation, all the math and design, all the behavioral, you know, finance stuff and like how this stuff is going to evolve, how are you going to use data and AI in the future? And and like, we look what we built, like, do you like it? And most people are like, this works or, or works better than what we got. <laughs> so maybe we should use it. So we are starting to have more of those kinds of conversations. Excellent. Good. So in general, I mean, like I said, you've more or less proven me wrong, which is nice. I mean, to a degree. Uh, <laughs> we'll actually, see. Yeah. Funny story. I mean, how we got connected in the first place was I tweeted about how like that was one of the two stupidest things I get pitched on a weekly basis. <laughs> and Bill Winterberg's former guest in front of the show basically uh, said, oh, really? I think you should talk to, uh, I think you should talk to Steven. <laughs> so I was like, okay, if Bill's saying this, there's something here. Good. So, I mean, this is how far you've gotten so far. Where do you see it going? I mean, you mentioned a bunch of things around artificial intelligence and more decumulation stuff, but I'm curious as to where you think it's going to head for you. Sure. By the way, yeah, I do want to give a shout out for uh, Twitter or X. I mean, it's for whatever, it is kind of a crazy environment, but like, it is amazing how you can get connected to people and like how conversations like this end up happening through like meeting and, you know, other influential people on it. Yeah. So, you know, we started out with TurboTax of planning. I think we've proven some stuff there. We are now delivering Google Docs of planning. So really collaborative financial planning at scale. So that's part of making this more efficient for everybody. I mean, for myself, like, hey, Word, great. But you know what? Google Docs, like 10 times better. I don't really care about every single feature that like Word has or Excel has built into it. What I care is I can collaborate with my team really quickly on this stuff. So we're just much more productive. So we're delivering that for financial planning. And then the future is like Google Maps. So basically take all the data, take all the insights and help people 
help discover the opportunities for people at scale. So it really is, it becomes a big data play. And then, you know, we're architecting our system to do that. And I think one thing about us is like, you know, if you use it, like we run Monte Carlo sub second. I've had that multiple times, companies, multiple times been like, oh, you just ran Monte Carlo in like whatever, 500 milliseconds, right? It's like, okay, that's pretty interesting, you know? And it changes how people use it when they're planning, but it also changes if you want to run a million plans every night, overnight to look at how to do better. And that's where we see this thing going. Excellent. So before we wrap up, there's three questions I ask everybody to end on a positive note and get you thinking. And the first question is, if you had one wish for something to change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be? Great question. I would say that I would like to see more transparency and better alignment across financial services, because I think it will help not just the end consumer, I think it'll help the overall industry because it'll end up creating net more wealth. Like today, some people who are well-educated and do stuff, they end up with a lot of money. And a lot of people don't have a lot of money because they very often make mistakes or they are sold substandard products. I mean, like credit cards are essentially super high interest loans and a lot of people get in credit card debt or student loan debt. And I think that we could, if we had more people with more wealth, it would be better for society. Agreed. Agreed. And uh, you're doing a little part to help with that. So appreciate that. And then uh, second question I have for you is what's been the biggest challenging, the challenge again, the company or the platform to where it is to date? Yeah, great question. I, I would say we, I think we're early for the market. So we had to learn a lot of lessons. This is a very hard problem. And it's not obvious that even though we, I mean, we're, we've had some success, but we're still early, right? So we're basically embarking on this the first successful, like an analogy is like exercise. We didn't know exercise was good for us until 1949. And then once we figured it out, basically a society got behind exercise and companies got like Nike got created. So I think people are waking up that like financial wellness planning, like being smart about your money really matters and you have to have agency in it. But this is a societal change that has to happen. I mean, we can be one small part of it, but like everyone has to kind of get behind this idea that, hey, we can all do better financially for ourselves and our kids and our parents, and that'll help society overall. But that's a evolution that's going to that's gonna take decades, not like yours. Excellent. And last question I have for you is what keeps you motivated and getting up in the morning every day to keep on fighting the good fight that is entrepreneurship? <laughs> Great question. You know, we, we think a lot about purpose in our business. And because we deal with our, our population that like, you know, when you hit like over 50, what you realize is, I don't have that much human capital left, right? And I have, I have limited time. Like, what, what am I going to leave behind? Like, what, what's my, is it going to be a big pile of money? Is it going to be great kids? You know, or the ways I can use my scarcest resource, my time in new ways or better ways. And I think that, you know, we, so we, we see ourselves as like helping people with their money and their time. So if you get control of your money, you can do more with your time and have more agency with it and apply it in, in different ways. So I think, this idea that like we're helping to unlock the lives of hopefully, you know, today, tens of thousands, but through our partners, you know, hundreds of thousands today, and we can make this millions, tens of millions. I mean, our goal is to help hundred million people. And actually the more I go into this, the more I'm like hundred million is way too low because there's 8 billion people on this planet and call it, there's more and more wealth. So can we, how are we going to educate all these people at scale to help make good decisions and, and have more control and achieve better outcomes? So, you know, it's a huge problem. And if we solve it, we'll have done something meaningful. And you know, yay, that'll be good, right? That'll be a, that'll be a good accomplishment. Good stuff. Well, Stephen, thank you very much for semi proving me wrong uh, and taking the time to explain <laughs> why. Uh, appreciate that. And uh, all the best of luck to you. Well, Jason, I, I appreciate you having me on. And also, 
the the initial skepticism, but also a receptivity to having an open dialogue about oh, it. I'm, uh, yeah. We're all trying to get better together here. So it's, it's, it's oh, awesome. I've been wrong many, many countless times in my life, as my wife reminds me on a daily basis. So anyway. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. So that was my interview with Stephen Chen of New Retirement. Hope you enjoyed that. And as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever's your podcast. And until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.